Thanks uh, to both Dan uh, and Sarah for sharing. Um, praise God you know, for his intervening grace and that, uh, yeah, both Dan and Ashley are alive, Sarah's alive, and, and testifying to the fact that, yeah, indeed, the Lord Jesus who's resurrected is still doing that in our lives today. Amen? Well, it's, uh, um, it's good to be here. It's, it's, uh, we're in Florida, so I presume not many of you needed a jacket, but uh, maybe some of you have been to, to places, restaurants, um, different places where you brought in a jacket, and as soon as you came in the door, uh, someone took your jacket and said, hey, I'm going to put this somewhere where you don't need it, uh, presumably because, hey, this jacket is just going to be a bother to your experience here. You're better off without it. Uh, it'll be more comfortable if you don't have it. Um, again, we don't have to deal with that here in Florida, at least not today, but I think that describes the way some of us feel about Easter Sunday. Feel like maybe it's not your jacket, but you feel like, okay, four to five billion people are going to gather today in churches all around the world, and they're going to check their brains at the door because they conveniently feel like you may not need your brain today. In fact, it would be much more pleasurable, and it would only be a bother if you have your brain, because what's, here's the reality we're celebrating that over half the world gathers together today in order to celebrate the fact that a man who had died had risen from the dead. If you're feeling like that to me, this is weird. Like, this doesn't make any sense. Is this really what people believe? I mean, I came with my friends, and my friends are otherwise smart people, but do they really believe that somebody could rise from the dead? If that's what you're thinking today then I'm so glad that you're here. Despite whatever you believe, whatever you think, whatever logic has gone out the window with these Christian people, that you're here today, and I'm so glad you are. Because today I want to talk to two main groups of people. One, people who are like that, who just don't believe. Like, I can't believe that. That's crazy. That's weird. That seems foolish to me. It doesn't make any sense. I can't believe that. The second group of people I want to talk to is the people who do believe in some way, and then for everyone who believes something in between these two. Today I want to talk about a man named Thomas who lived in real time about 2,000 years ago. He was one of Jesus' 12 original followers. He got this nickname, Doubting Thomas, because like some of us in here today, he couldn't believe when someone told him that Jesus rose from the dead. He wanted that to happen. He wanted to believe it, but he couldn't because it just didn't make any sense to him. Maybe like it doesn't make sense to some of us. He got this nickname, Doubting Thomas, which some think is unfortunate, other think is pretty descriptive, but here's kind of how it all happened. The first Easter morning about 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, who died on a Roman cross outside of Jerusalem, was taken down that Friday, was put in a tomb, they buried him and all of these things. Sunday morning came around, and there were some women that wanted to prepare his body by, so it wouldn't smell. They wanted to put all these uh, aloe and, and, and perfumes on him. That was kind of their way of showing respect to the deceased. When they get to the tomb, they realize that the stone that was on top of covering the doorway had been rolled away. And so they peer in and they realize Jesus is not there. This is strange. And so they go and they run and they tell the 11 disciples, the 11 disciples who were hiding out in fear because they thought what happened to our teacher is going to happen to us, his followers. They're scared to death. They're confused. They're worried. But then these women come, and it's interesting because it was women, because in those days, women's testimonies were not 
acceptable in a court of law. They said women are too emotional. Women don't, they're not educated. They can make stuff up. And so women's testimonies were not accepted in a court of law. Therefore, if someone was making up this story and said there were women who were the first witnesses at the tomb, that would be unthinkable in those days. The only way that people could actually write that women were the first witnesses if that's the way it actually happened. So these women come and they tell the disciples, and so a couple of them go running to the tomb. The, again, the stone is rolled away, and they look in, and they realize two miracles have happened. One, the body's not there. The second thing, and, and maybe this is, you know, they realize that the, fold, the, the clothes that Jesus had been wearing had been folded up. They realize that if a robber had robbed the body of Jesus, they wouldn't have taken the time to fold his clothes back up. That's the second miracle. I guess there's a third miracle. Third miracle is that single men don't fold their clothes after they've worn them. So something has happened on this day that's crazy. And so they go running back, and they're confused. They're shocked. They're dazed. That night, the first Easter evening, Jesus rolls up to that group of disciples. In fact, 11 remaining disciples because one of them had ended his life, Judas. He goes to them, but actually, Thomas is not there. Thomas is not there, and Jesus shows himself to the other ten disciples. He's like, oh, it's me. Like, it's me. I've risen from the dead. He had uh, the scars to show it. And in the midst of that place, they see the risen Jesus. It's one thing to have a tomb that's empty. Anything could have happened. But the fact that these bunch of people saw Jesus, they realize he must really be alive. So for whatever reason, Thomas is not there. He's devastated. He's crushed. He's the one at one point who said, Jesus, even if everyone else leaves you, well, Peter said, if everyone else leaves you, we'll die with you. But when Jesus went back to Bethany, where the people, the crowds were against him, Thomas is the one who said, you know, let's go. Let's go die with Jesus. He was willing to lay down his life. And so when Jesus died, Thomas is crushed. Where do you go when you're crushed? Where do you go when all of your hope and all of your dreams and all of your longings and all of your desires have ended on a cross? The movement which was here yesterday is gone today. Where do you go? So we don't know where he was. It doesn't really say. Maybe he was eating ice cream like some of us would do. Maybe he went to get pizza. Maybe he was picking up the Starbucks for the other disciples. But he just wasn't there with them when Jesus shows up to them. And so the disciples go to, 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 to Thomas. They're like, Thomas, you should have been here. Because Jesus was here. Jesus was here. And what does Thomas do? If you, were, if you were Thomas, if your leader, your teacher, your master, your mentor, your professor, if everything to you for three and a half years had died, you get back to your group of, of ten close friends, and your ten closest friends say, we saw him, he's alive, what would you say? Most of us would say the same thing that Thomas said. You know, uh, I wish that were true. Maybe it is, but I'm not going to believe. I can't believe that until you show me the truth, until you show me, until I see it with my eyes, I'm not going to believe. Because Thomas, for whatever he was, he was a doubter. He wasn't dumb. People don't rise from the dead every day. You know, we think, oh, people back then were so stupid. This is called chronological snobbery, according to one author, to think that we're so much smarter than everybody else. No, it's the same thing back then. People didn't rise from the dead back in those days, just as they don't do that today. And so for Thomas to have these doubts, it's an unfortunate name, but he would have done, he does the same thing that you and I would have done if we were in his sandals. He says, I won't believe, I can't believe it until you show me. And so this is what happens. We pick up the true story in John chapter 20, uh, verses 24 through 29. I'm going to read a couple verses and then I'll, I'll keep on kind of walking through this. 
And we're going to see the relevance of this man who doubted and why his experience is so important to people living 2,000 years later, people like you and me. This is God's word, the eyewitness account of the disciple whom Jesus loved, uh, John, in uh, John 20, verse 24. It says, now Thomas called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the other disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I'll not believe it. That's what he says. That's where he is. And this is where he gets the name Doubting Thomas. But here's the crazy thing about it. Okay? If you keep on reading, verse 26, a week later, okay, so the next week, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was there with them. Right? Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is God's word. This is crazy stuff. But this is real stuff. It's earthy stuff. It's stuff that it just meets us where we are. I think it does. So what does it mean? What does it tell us? What does doubting Thomas tell us to people living 2,000 years after the fact that he lived, after that first Easter? I think there's three thoughts at least that it shows us. Here's the first thing, that doubt is often the doorway to faith. Okay, doubt is often the doorway to faith. If you feel like, man, this is weird stuff. I can't make any sense of it. Again, this is where Thomas was. This is where Thomas lived. He said, unless you show me, I can't believe this to be true. Because it's a, it's a pretty big leap of faith to believe that Jesus Christ, buried in a tomb, nailed to a cross, beaten, flogged, whipped, and crucified, right? Blood poured out of him, speared through his side, completely gone, could rise from the dead. But what Jesus is saying is Thomas comes to him and says, Jesus, I cannot believe it, but I'll believe it if you actually show me these things. A week later, Jesus comes up and he says, okay. Let's, let's deal with this. Let's talk with this. When it says in, in verse 27, stop doubting and believe, literally what it says is stop disbelieving and believe. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that the doubt is not the problem here. Sometimes we think that doubt and faith cannot coexist, but that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's actually inviting the doubt, saying the doubt is important and the doubt is actually a good thing because it can become the doorway to faith because just a couple verses later, a week after, Thomas gives the greatest confession of faith in who Jesus Christ is that the world had ever known at that time, my Lord and my God. And it took doubt in order to get into that place. It wasn't any of the other 10 disciples who gave that profession. It was Thomas, and it was through that doubt that faith actually came to be born. It's interesting because... Again, uh, oftentimes I think, especially for those who grow up in church or feel like we, we come to church, feel like if I'm going to believe this stuff, i got to believe it without doubting. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's inviting the doubts. One author named John Ortberg says, you know, that the doubt is good as long as the doubt is honest. Because here's what honest doubt does. Honest doubt 
leads to questions, honest questions. And honest questions lead to honest answers. Honest answers lead to faith. Okay, this, is where, this is where faith can become a, a negative thing. There's three kinds of doubt that uh, probably can be harmful kinds of doubt. There's the, the doubt of the, uh, the, the, the cynic, the doubt of the skeptic, and the doubt of the rebel. A cynic, the cynical doubt is a kind of person who just wants to criticize, wants to complain, will throw out questions, but they will never come to any kind of a decision. Right? They'll stand safely planted on the sidelines, arguing with other people, but never taking a step and believing in anything. That's the cynic. The skeptic is a kind of person. The skeptic is a kind of person that's always asking, okay, always throwing questions out, but their minds are predisposed to say, I'm not going to believe this stuff. They're the kind of person who says, uh, it's almost like a lazy kind of faith that throws out conclusions without really thinking through them. They'll say things like, it can't happen. It's never happened before. How can that make any sense? And they'll immediately draw conclusions without analyzing the claims. And then there's the rebel, the rebel doubt that says, even if there's evidence contrary to my position, I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to believe no matter what. Whether there's been hurt in their life or there have been challenges or something that happened causes them to say, no matter what, I'm not going to believe this stuff. And that kind of doubt leads to a stubbornness and a hardness of heart that will never lead them to experience the truth, even if the truth was right in front of them. Can I ask you a question? Whether you believe or not, if what you were believing was found to be false, would you want to know the truth? I'm even saying that to followers of Christ. If what we're believing is wrong, would you, ha would you have enough trust and enough, enough confidence that I can examine and I can doubt these things and still be found to be true? Because what doubt does, it doesn't shake our faith. Honest questions lead to honest answers, which lead to faith. Because what happens when we don't question our faith, when we don't doubt our faith, is something will, something's going to come in life, whether it be a miscarriage, whether it be uh, the, the, the cancer that afflicts our parents. Something's going to happen to our lives that's going to shake our faith. And if we haven't questioned our faith honestly, then that faith is not going to stand. I was talking with a friend a couple weeks ago. He lost his four-year-old uh, four daughter. But his faith is a robust faith because he's wrestled with it. He's wrestled with faith. And this is what he said. He said, my fear is that the majority of Christians in America or churchgoers in America are one tragedy away from abandoning their faith because they don't think they can doubt their faith, because they don't think they can question their faith. But it's in the questioning of faith that answers come, and it's in the answers that come that faith becomes deepened and robust and stronger than anything that could be given without those questions. If what you believe, on the other hand, is not belief in Jesus Christ, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and if the claims of Christianity are true, would you be willing to be told the truth? All we're asking, and all Jesus is asking, is that we come honestly. Right? We come honestly. That's it. No pretense. Jesus welcomes the doubts. He's not afraid of them. He's not challenged by them. He welcomes them because he knows that honesty leads to honest questions, leads to honest answers, leads to faith. That's the first thing. Doubt can be the doorway to faith. The second thing that we see is that faith grows one small step at a time. Okay, one small step at a time. Uh, Dan talked about this also. He talked about how God was like uh, holding him as he takes small steps forward. Do you remember if you're a parent? 
or if you're an aunt or an uncle, if you had a younger sibling, do you remember the first steps of that child? You remember because it was like 9, 10, 11, 12 months, and you knew that it was right about time, and you know that your daughter was starting to stand up on her own, and then her knees would get wobbly, and then she would fall on the ground, and you'd be like, ah, maybe another day, maybe another day. But you're so filled with hope. You're so filled with expectation and anticipation. And so that one day she pulls herself up, she starts wobbling, but she stabilizes herself. And then she takes that first step, and you're so excited. You remember this? And you tell your wife, you tell your husband, you're like, honey, she did it, her first step. And then if you're living in the year 2018, the first question that comes back from your spouse is, did you record it? You say, no, I didn't. Get it, get the second step, get the second step. So you get your phone out, and she's about to take that second step, and she falls. And what do you do? Is this what we say? Oh, you stupid baby. One step, that's it. Don't you know the kid across the street? He took five steps already. What's wrong with you? Honey, let's go return him. You get the receipt. Let's take him back to baby's arms. This one is default. Something is deficient. Something's wrong. You don't do that. You praise that first step. Say, yes, that's beautiful. That's awesome. You understand that it takes one step before the next step comes. And that's what Jesus understands about Thomas. He knows the steps are going to come, but he knows that it comes one step at a time, one foot in front of the other. And Thomas needs to take this next step. And sometimes, guys, we need to see a little bit before we can believe. That's why the doubts are important. Sometimes people say Christianity is a blind leap of faith. It's not. It's not a blind. There are times where we need to go trusting in the heart and the character and all that we know of God to be. But it's not a blind leap of faith. It's not a check your brains at the door because you won't need it in Christianity. It's not. Christianity to me is spiritually, emotionally, in every way satisfying, but it is deeply intellectually satisfying to me as well. I didn't leave my brains at the door when I walked into this place. And Jesus is saying sometimes we need something to step on in order for faith to grow. And so here's what Thomas says. Unless I seal the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. Jesus says, all right, here it is. It's go time. A week later, Jesus says, here it is. Here's what you need. You're going to take it or leave it. And Thomas responds because his doubts were honest, his questions were honest, and the answers that Jesus gives are honest. Can I tell you, if you're doubting today, that's cool. That's okay. That's completely fine. But can you bring those doubts to Jesus? Because honest questions, he will meet with honest answers. That's how it was for me. Those of you who know uh, some of my story, you know, I grew up in church for the first, uh, I can't remember for, man, in, in my 42, 42 years of life, I can probably count on one hand the number of Sundays I missed. So growing up in church, I heard all of the Jesus stories, all of the Jesus stories, but it, didn't take, didn't take, it took a, until 19 years in for me to actually take that first step of real faith in Jesus. But along the way, I would pray these prayers, selfish prayers, crazy, things like Thomas. Jesus, you got to show me something for me to believe. There was a time when, uh, as a fourth grader, you know, Sarah shared about fourth grade being the time when her mom had cancer and she, she realized that people were mean. Fourth grade, uh, scholars say, is the most important year of a, of a child's uh, upbringing. It's there that we begin to realize that the world is cruel, it's not, it's not as easy as we thought it was, that there's mean people, that there's brokenness, that there's pain. Any fourth grade teachers out there, we uh, thank you for your work and for your labors, but it's a huge period. Fourth grade was really hard for me. That's when uh, my grades started plummeting like crazy. 
I started getting C's and D's on my report card, which for an Asian is death. <laughs> you understand this, right? For, for, for the, the general grading scale, A is excellent, right? B is above average, and C is average. You know how it is for Asians, right? A is average. B is below average. Here's what C is, and this is what I was getting. C is can't eat dinner. Right? D is don't come home, and F is find a new family. So I was hanging out. I was hanging out in this place between can't eat dinner and don't come home. This is where I was living. This was, this was tragic for me. And so I, my, I remember my, my mom and I were watching TV, and this, like, Billy Graham crusade came on, and it said, for prayer, call this number. And so my mom said, yeah, you need prayer because obviously what we're doing is not working, so you need to call this number. So I called that number, and I just real quickly, uh, the man answered the phone. I said, uh, I'm getting C's and D's, and I want to get A's and B's. That's all I said. Uh, he said, that's precious. He prayed for me. I hung up, okay? The next five quarters... Okay, one quarter left in fourth grade and all throughout fifth grade. It might have been fifth into sixth grade. But all throughout the next 35 grades on my report card, 34 A's and one B. It's crazy. I, as I think about it now, I think about this like a few months ago, I think the only reason I didn't get all A's because I asked that man to pray for A's and B's, and so I got one B. <laughs> but I remember thinking in that time, holy cow, God did for me what I couldn't do on my own. And I started to think, maybe God is real. These were selfish prayers, but prayers that God said, you're honest, and I want to meet you in your place of doubt. It was times when I would get bloody noses all day long, when my, knee, when my joints would hurt whenever it would start raining outside or when it was about to rain. And we prayed for these things, and I got healed of all this stuff. It wasn't until I was 19, like I said, that I actually took that step of faith and, 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 and went on that journey to say, my Lord and my God. But it started with these small things. My daughter recently, my daughter's eight years old now. We were up in Virginia. Virginia's a lot colder than it is here. And she knew it was going to be cold. We said, pack your jacket. But it's going to be in like the 40s. That's what the forecast said when we went up there. She said, is it, I want to see it snow. I really want it to snow. And so Olivia, her mom, my wife, said, Manny, why don't you pray that it's going to snow? And sure enough, on this one day for just five minutes, just five minutes, it snowed. She got all bundled up and everything, and it snowed, and she's running around. And you could, you could see it if you were there, but on the video, no one could see it. So they're like, where's the snow? But Manny saw it. Manny saw the snow. A, week, uh, a few days later, there's like massive blizzard that caused us to miss our flight. But it snowed in that moment for her, and in that moment, she prayed, God, I want to see. And God is starting to show her something that he... That, Maybe this God answers my prayers. Third thing, last, last illustration. My best friend in college, Sam, he came to know Jesus in college his first year. And it got to a point in his third year in college where he's just questioning everything he believed. Is this real? I don't know if this is real. And so he's just like wrestling and struggling with this doubt. Were these experiences genuine? Were these things that I put my trust in real? And he didn't know. And so one night he went late at night at about 10 o'clock at night. He went out to the track at our university. And he said, God, I just want, I just want to know. Are you there? Are you real? Do you care for me? Do you see me? Do you hear my questions? And he started running. He said, as he was running, he looked up in the sky for the first time in his life. Never seen it, never knew what it was. He saw a shooting star go across the sky and just felt these chills go down his body as he felt God saying, I'm here. I'm here. You may not always see, but I'm here. And let this be a reminder, whenever you doubt, that I'm here and I'm with you. This is oftentimes how faith begins. 
when we're honest with our doubts. Sometimes these prayers that we pray before we even believe in Jesus, God answers, we're like, that's weird. Like I prayed for a house and God gave me a house. This is weird stuff. Like I prayed for a husband and he gave me a husband. This is weird. Like this is weird. I don't even. And through that we begin to, to have our eyes open. Maybe Jesus is real and he's there somewhere. But it takes small steps at a time. And that's where it begins. The last thing that we see then, and this is where I want to talk to those of us who believe. And maybe, maybe those of us who don't believe also. The last thing is that God wants to take you from a show-me faith to a trust-me faith. Okay? From a show-me faith to a trust-me faith. This is, where, this is where Thomas was. He's like, God, if you show me, I'll believe. Jesus, you show me, I'll believe. And that's where a lot of us are because we're not at that place of belief yet. God, I need you to show me something in order for me to believe. Here's what Jesus says. Because you seed me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You ever feel like, I used to pray those prayers and God answered, but he's not answering them anymore. Can I tell you? It could be because God is about to take you on a journey. Your faith is going to grow in ways that you haven't seen before. That's what God wants. He doesn't want you to simply believe because you see everything. There are going to be a lot of times. When your wife is in the operating room losing pints of blood, you think you're going to lose your wife along with your child. Times when your mother has cancer and everyone is telling you that she's not going to make it past your fifth grade year, where you don't see God. There are things that have happened in all of our lives where we don't see the hand of God, but the question is, can we trust his heart as shown at the cross? That's what God wants to do. He wants to build a robust kind of faith within us that goes beyond show me to can you trust me? That's what God is trying to do in us. Because you see, sometimes when we don't see the hand of God, that's where God's hand is most powerfully present. When he's moving us from an if-then kind of faith, if you do this, then I'll follow you, to an even-if kind of faith. Even if these things fall apart, I will still follow you. That's what God wants to do in us. That's what he wanted to do in Thomas. It's one to do in all the disciples. You've heard this story maybe of a, of, a, of a shipwreck survivor. It's not Tom Hanks, but one lone survivor on some island somewhere. And he, he's, he's calling out for help, and he's praying to God, help me, rescue me, send someone to rescue me, but nobody comes. And so in his dejected, exhausted, tired, fatigued, frustrated state, he decides to take all of the, the driftwood and, and makes himself a little hut so that he could stay warm and he could protect the precious few belongings he has from the elements. And he goes in, exhausted, he falls asleep, and nothing happens. Wakes up the next day, goes out, I should go find some food or else I'm going to die on this island. So he goes find some food. And when he comes back, he realizes that his tiny little hut with everything in it had burned to the ground. He looks up at the smoke billowing to the sky, and he lifts his hands to the heavens, and he said, God, Why? Why would you do this to me? Everything I asked for, you have not given to me. And the only things I had, you took it away from me. And dejected, he falls asleep on the sand. Awakened early the next morning by the sound of rescue crews that come to him. How did you find me, he asks. He said, why, we saw the smoke signals that you'd sent up into the sky. And we, know, we knew that there was someone calling for help. Isn't that often how God works? 
how the greatest tragedy of our lives can actually be redeemed to become the greatest blessing of our lives. And isn't that how it was that first Easter Sunday when Thomas and Peter and John and all of the apostles, everything that they held to be dear, died on a cross. Again, the movement was there Thursday, but by Friday it was gone. See, Christianity of all the movements of the world, all of the religions, is the only one that did not spring up over time. Friday the movement was dead. Saturday the movement was dead. But come Sunday, Christianity was in full force once again. What did it do in these people? These guys who were fearful and, 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 and the exact opposite of what it was to be courageous. Okay, here's what Thomas did. He said he went to modern-day Iraq, modern-day Iran. He went to India preaching the gospel. In the 1600s, when the Portuguese came to India, they found a church that was started by Thomas 1,600 years before. He was canonized as a saint in India, reached out to the high-class Brahmin of India, and in the year 72 AD, he was thrown into a pit, and he was speared by one of these Brahmin who did not like the teachings that he was propagating. But for his faith, he courageously went to the grave. And it was not just him, but it was the nine remaining disciples as well. The only one who didn't. John was exiled to an island. They tried to kill him, but they couldn't. And so they just sent him off to an island. What happened? What happened that changed this group of 11 fearful people and overnight transformed them so that Christianity is the most dominant worldview in the world even 2,000 years later? What happened? That one Sunday morning, they went to the tomb, and they looked inside, and the tomb was empty. This is the hope of Easter. And here's the great thing. Here's the great thing. Not only is Easter powerful, but it's personal. He's still changing lives today. He's still changing lives all over the globe. He's changing lives. I could go on and on and on. In fact, John says I could go on and on and on, but papyrus was so expensive at the time, he said, I'm going to stop writing. I could go on and on and on and on, but I know we want to eat lunch, but Jesus is still working today. He's changing lives. You come back every week, and we'll have somebody testify the fact that 2,000 years after this man lived, he's still transforming lives. The end of it all, here's what happens with every human being. We'll be born, we'll pay taxes, we'll die, and when we die, we'll either spend eternity with God forever or eternity apart from God, and God did not want that. And so he sent his one and only son, Jesus, into the world to live the perfect life in order that he could be the perfect sacrificial lamb to die for the sins of every person who would believe in him. And whether you believe it or not does not change the fact that in human history, people went to the tomb and it was empty and hundreds of people saw this Jesus. It was people who had no skin in the game who wrote and testified, non-Christian scholars who testified that they saw Jesus. This one uh, Japanese author named Shishaku uh, Endo says, if, even if you don't believe in the resurrection, if you don't believe in the resurrection, that's cool. Suspend that thought for a second. But what you can't, but what, the burden of proof is on you then to figure out what happened to this group of 11 people because their lives were completely changed. 
And if it was not the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then something as equally as intense and electrifying an event had to happen, and it takes more faith to prove that that happened than to prove that the resurrection of Jesus Christ actually did occur in history, in time, in space 2,000 years ago. And if that's really true, and you have not believed that up until today, the question I want to ask is, are you willing to take a small step of faith and begin to ask honestly the questions that you have? Just take a small step. That's it. Not asking you to throw yourself all in. Maybe some of you are ready. But you've got nothing to lose. And you've got everything to gain. Let's pray. Can we just pray first? And, and, and praying is, hey, that's all you're doing is talking to God. And, and if you don't believe in him, hey, just do like I did back then. Just say, God, if you're really real, if you're really real, show yourself to me. Maybe that will show up in the way that you were stirred in your heart. Or you just feel like your heart is beating a little bit faster right now than it was. Just feel like all of a sudden, man, all the things that I grew up believing and I grew up people, these Christian people telling me is starting to make sense. Maybe it's something that you sung early, saying earlier today and you just feel like, man, I can't help but shake. I've never, I've never felt that before. I remember being in China and this little girl, as we sang songs of the redeemed, being in China, and this one little girl says, why did I feel the way that I felt when those songs were being sung? She said, I want to give my life to Jesus who can comfort my heart in a way that no one else has been able to do. Wherever you are today, I just want to invite you. Just pray. Bring your doubt before the Lord. Take a small step of faith and just say, if you're real, would you begin to show me? Show me somehow. Show me through people. Maybe others of you have taken that step already and you feel like, man, what that man on the stage said is starting to make sense to me. And Jesus, I want to come to you, and I want to say, I want to, I want to take a step of faith towards you. I want to trust you. Maybe others of us, you believe already, but God doesn't seem to be answering your prayers the way that you want to. And, and what he's saying to you right now is, hey, I want to take you to a deeper faith, a trust me kind of faith. Take that step of faith. As you just uh, quietly pray, it's just talking to God. You don't have to talk out loud if you want. You can just whisper to him in your heart. Just take a step of faith, and in about 30 seconds, I just want to give a quick, just a small invitation to say if anyone wants to take that small step of faith, just raise your hand. I'm not going to make you come up here or, or stand up or anything. I just want you to raise your hand as a sign of your commitment between you and God. But let's pray for half a minute right now. That God, if you're really true, if you're really who that man said you are, then I want to see that I might believe. So help me. Let's pray together for just half a minute right now in that way. Can we do that? As we just continue to, to pray, maybe uh, some of us have been coming to church for a while. Maybe today's your first time, but your first time in a while. Just feel like, man, that's me. You're speaking to where I'm at. I've got doubts, but I want to know if it's real. I want to take that. I want to take a small step. Whether that step is for you to put your trust in Jesus, whether that step is to begin talking to him, whether that, that, that step is to start coming out to church or joining a, a, a small community, a house church community, would you want to take a small step of faith? 
heads, our eyes are closed, and it's just between you and God. If that's you, can you just raise your hand from where you are? I want to take a small step of faith. That's how faith grows, just one step at a time. Thank you. Praise God. Yeah, some of us in here want to take that step of faith. you as we go through our time today. If you want to fill out one of our information cards or if you could talk to me or whomever brought you after our service, would love to connect with you and to help you. But I'm going to pray on our behalf right now. Just ask the Lord that his word would bear fruit within us now. So Father in heaven, we thank you that the seeds have been planted within our hearts. and We pray that you would cause water to fall on them and the sun to shine on them in order that we might take steps. They might be small steps, but that's okay. Small steps of faith in order that we might know you better and experience you personally. So for those who want to open up their hearts to you, acknowledging their need for someone to cleanse them of their sins, of their wrongs, and to lead their lives, pray that they would open their hearts to you. For those who wrestle with doubts, <coughs> that they would be honest with those with you. And for those who just want to go deeper, to be a witness for you as Thomas was, Lord, I ask that you would bless them in that way. We thank you so much. We love you. We need you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.